Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Married People Podcast. I'm your host, CJ, and on this episode, we're asking the question, how can I be a great dad and a great husband? Now, if you listened last week, last week we talked to our friend Karen Stubbs uh, about being a great mom and a great wife. So if you missed that, definitely check that out. Give it a listen. Even if you're a guy, it's a great conversation to listen to with your spouse. And now this week, we're turning the tables and we're talking about being uh, a dad and a father and a husband. We're talking about the, the men's side of the marriage uh, equation there. And to help us tackle that subject, my co-host, Ted Lowe, interviewed Kenny Luck, who actually founded Every Man Ministries, which seeks to revolutionize how men's ministry is done in local churches all over the country. Now, they've got a bunch of online resources, which include a podcast, a blog, and you can check those out at everymanministries.com. We'll link to that in our show notes. Kenny Luck is also the pastor at Crossline Church in California and has actually written several books for men, including Every Man, God's Man, Sleeping Giants, and his most recent, dangerous good. Now, before we dive into today's conversation, I want to remind you about our brand new resource at Married People called the Married People Membership. It's an online library for married couples just like you. It's $8 a month or $80 for the whole year, and it's online access to our premium resources. Think of it like the Netflix for your marriage. It's awesome. Got to check it out. We'll link to that in our show notes as well, marriedpeople.org. But for now, let's get into today's conversation with Kenny Luck. Kenny, thanks so much for taking time to hang out with us today. Ted, thanks for having me. I love being on your show. Well, we're so glad that you're here. We got to hang out a little bit together. We're, you know, you suffer for Jesus on the on the West Coast, and I, <laughs> I appreciate your sacrifice there uh, in Portela Hills, <laughs> five minutes from the beach. So tell, tell us, uh, people that are landlocked, what it's like to suffer in such a location like Orange County, California. Right. Well, why do I... <laughs> why do I like why why do I like suffering in Orange County, California? Well, I was born here. I had no control over it, Ted. I'm a Navy brat. My dad was stationed at Point Point Magoo Naval Air Station in Ventura, California, and you know, Navy boats are next to the ocean. Mm. Okay? So, I had no control <laughs> over it. Um, I'm the last of of seven kids, five boys and two girls, so it was an interesting upbringing. I always tell people I was I was born in a terrorist cell because anytime you have five boys uh, all in one house, uh, trouble is going to start. But my mom is a Pacific Islander. Uh, my dad met her after the war, so we're a cross-cultural Guamanian family. So um, I have that island vibe uh, in me. But then again, you know, I'm a, I'm a military kid. I have a, a deep, deep, deep appreciation for just being an American. And so that's kind of like my family upbringing. I moved to the Bay Area. Uh, Steve Jobs' original house is around the corner from my house. I grew up in Silicon Valley, but then it was all orchards and all those things that we enjoy today were just ideas in people's heads. So I grew up in Northern California and, uh, and then went back to Southern California to go to school at UCLA, which is where I met Chrissy and then the dominoes started falling from there. I love it. So how long have you and Chrissy been married? Uh, 30 years. This last June was was 30 years. We got married in 88. When she graduated from UCLA, I had graduated a couple years earlier. And uh, we have three kids, uh, three awesome millennials, <laughs> I like to say. And, what did you uh, call them again? What? Awesome millennials. Mo- okay. 
I love they're it. awesome. They're awesome millennials. No, um, yeah, Kara's my oldest, twenty-seven, and then Ryan's twenty-four, and Jen is twenty. And Ryan got married recently, right? Yeah, he did, and that was—I don't know—I tell people that was next to Jesus and getting married to Chrissy. That's number three. Mm. I mean, that—that that was, and I made it through Ted as the pastor of the ceremony without crying. Well done. Although I was on the edge. Yeah, I spent most of that week sitting in his room, looking at his stuff, and just, I got it all out before, which was a wise tactic if you're your son's dad marrying him and you love him a lot. Yeah, let's get it all out right now, right? Yes, yes. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better because you oversee men's ministry all over the globe, and so yeah. you always encourage men to be men, and you're a man that cries. I kind of love that right now. Oh, dude, I'm a, I'm a crier. I mean, just if, if you're there on any Sunday at Crossline and we're doing communion, I'm, I'm, I'm bawling. You're, and I, 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 like a good, I like a good rom-com and, uh, and, and movies like that. I'm, I'm easily brought to tears if the moment's right. I love it. I love it. So, Kenny, to give people a little bit of history, you started the men's ministry at Saddleback Church, which I, I did. have a fondness for. I was there for several years and just love what God's doing there. So tell us a little bit about how that started at Saddleback. Yeah, well, my pastor at the time and my good friend to today, Rick Warren, he started that church reaching a, a profile of a person that's better known to the world as Saddleback Sam. Mm-hmm. And that was intentional. Rick knew what the sociologists today know, that if you reach the man, you reach the family. Those statistics are, are unequivocal, where if we reach a child, 3% of the family will follow that decision. If a mom comes to Christ, 17% will follow that spiritual decision. You reach the, the dad of the family, the man of the family, 93% of the family will follow in that decision. So that was very wise by Rick to build the strategy around reaching Saddleback Sam. And so I was already entering um, that vision. And then when the church began to grow quite a bit, we began to look around and, and just say, okay, how do we do this on a more in a more intentional way? There was a lot of men's groups, and then there was promise keepers groups, and then there's every man's battle groups and so forth. But there wasn't a very clear ecosystem for getting a guy in to relationship with God and into community with other men, get him healthy in his marriage and family, get him strong in Christ and get him going. And so that's when Rick asked me if I would I would do that. And that's when I fired myself as the CEO of a healthcare company and, uh, and threw all in to the local church and my community to reach men for Christ. And then out of that work and laboratory, we birthed Everyman Ministries, which trains churches on how to develop healthy men's communities. I love that. So tell me a little bit, what did the men's ministry look like at Saddleback when he said, hey, we've got all these different components that are kind of separate. Tell me a little bit about strategically what it looks like. Well, you know what? We made a decision to go after the pain in men's lives. If the stats are correct, nine out of 10 men have an issue in their life right now that usually involves a relationship that they would love help with. And so, you know, it's always good to jump in where the water's warm, right? Right. And so we built our men's outreach based on, of course, purpose and pain and people. And those are three resonators with men. And so what we did is we we had large group 
type things like a large group men's Bible study, but we were always talking about purpose. We were talking about struggles and pain because we knew that they would want to resolve those issues. Every man's motivated that way. And then we would talk about people. Men know that if they don't do relationships right, they're not doing life right. Sometimes they're not honest with themselves or others about that reality in their life because either they're ashamed or they feel bad or they don't want people to know. But we knew that. So when we launched men's ministry at Saddleback, it was built around what was already there, which was a hunger for purpose, a hunger to resolve private pain, struggle, temptation, and a hunger to do relationships right. And that's why it exploded. We would have these large group events. We talk on those themes. And then after we sort of tapped the issue or touched the bruise, we would say, hey, and guess what? There, there are spaces here at Saddleback, now Crossline, where you can address that stuff. And that's our vision for you, to get into relationship with God and with other men, get healthy in these realms of your life, get strong in Christ, get going. The clarity and transparency of that seem to really be the secret sauce. Mm. Be clear with men about, now that we have you, here's where we'd like you to go, but then be relevant to their lives and meaningful and uh, that that kind of that kind of kicked things off, and we discovered that the statisticians were right, and that men wanted to resolve things, and that they would show up out of self-interest to make the pain factor in their life go down, and also um, out of a spiritual desire to please God. Mm, I love that. And so from there, you guys, you know, diving in, being applicable, being practical, going into that pain. It's just because it's guys, we want to fix things, right? Like we want to fix, fix the issue. And it's guys, we live isolated lives. I mean, I watch my wife has, you know, some of the deepest friends and I have to be very careful that I just don't live on a shallow level. So you guys have really tapped into some amazing things. And so from there, you started Everyman Ministries, right? right? Yes. Well, yeah, it was a natural outgrowth. Um, I was at a church where if you were a stakeholder in any ministry, whether that's Doug Fields in high school ministry or Kenny Luck in men's ministry, the commission to you was to, hey, you lab it out here, you work it out, you get the kinks out, then go train the world Mm. and just make sure that it's Christ-centered, make sure that it's transforming, and make sure that it's reproducible. And so, you know, when you get to lab out something uh, in that environment, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to have to show someone else how to do this. And so that's been the beauty of it. So as we began to kind of lay the groundwork, build the model, build the resources to support the model, and as actually churches were coming to Saddleback to train, and as we were going out to train churches, it was natural to, to launch Everyman Ministries as a dotted line church training ministry to help train the local church. And Pastor Rick and I always used to say, you know, the, the, the greatest hope of the world is the local church. Mm. And right now, the greatest hope for the local church is the power and potential of its men because we knew that women and children were filling churches. We knew from people like George Barna that women were driving the lion's share of volunteerism, the, vol- the lion's share of biblical discipleship, the lion's share of, vol- of, of sharing the gospel, 
and that while the church had a lot of affiliated men, the church had not a majority of activated men. Hmm. And so that's why, as Rick and I combined our thinking, it's just like, wow, there's, it's like gold underneath the floorboards, <laughs> you know, it's like power and potential that's already there. But for some reason, the world and those identities of whatever, material man, pleasure man, possession man, you know, whatever visibility or worldly definition of masculinity that was attractive, for some reason, in the church, there wasn't an identity that was strong enough to pull guys away from those worldly identities, even though they were attending church. And so we had to really both raise the value and vision and power and strength of having an identity in Christ, being God's man, and being dangerous with goodness like Jesus. That was an ethos that we decided to embed because we're, we're competing with those worldly identities that were diverting energy, time, money away from the mission and vision of the local church. Mm, so strong. And that's one of the things through married people, we've always been re- really, really passionate about hitting guys. Because when we create resources for churches to have marriage events, we know that a lot of times the wife's going to be dragging their husband there. Uh, and we wanted when he walked through the door to go, wow, this isn't just something that I was invited to. This is something that's about me as well. And so when I started connecting with you, Kenny, um, and seeing what you guys are doing, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I've, you know, ever since we've met the last, you know, few months, I have spent my devotional time on your website. Wow. I go straight to your devotions every morning. And I look at this and I thought, man, this is a guy who's going after a man's heart. We have to be so careful as the church We've made ministry in so many ways feminine, and I love what you have done is you've brought the strength back into it, and you're talking to guys, and so yeah. every morning I feel like you're you're in a very kind, graceful way telling me to bow up and be a man, <laughs> you know, and and, yeah. and I like it, and it's very appealing to me, and it's a very doable uh, doable thing. So I want to thank you for that personally. Uh, it has mattered. Wow, that's great. Well, that attack on male strengths is. Um is something that's very relevant and current right now. And, it, and strength is not the issue. What the issue is, is strength without character, strength without compassion. That is the issue. Uh, because when you have power, influence, uh, physical, professional, or relational strength, and you don't have character and compassion guiding that strength, hmm. people suffer. And so- Wow, wow, the, wow. The, I don't want people the, to miss that. Say that one more time. Well, when you have strength, well, A, strength isn't the issue. Uh, The issue is if you have power, influence, strength in whatever form, financial, material, relational, professional, and you don't have character and compassion guiding that strength, Mm. then people suffer. So for men, um, they are built to be strong. They want to be strong. They want to be great and do great things. But if they lack the character and compassion to guide that strength, it ends up becoming self-centered and abusive. Mm. And so when you see the hashtag Me Too movement, when you see the Harvey Weinsteins and the Matt Lowers and the uh, Kevin Spaceys and the mass shooters and the sex trafficking and the injustice and domestic violence and a woman getting hit every 15 seconds while we're talking, mm. that's, that is strength 
without character and compassion. And so that means that we're in a uh, an all-out war for the control of what forms the insides of men. And based on what forms the insides of men, that factor is going to guide their strengths. And it, it spells good and, and, and health and life for people, or it spells evil and harm and death for people. Wow. That is so huge. So huge. And I think it's a perfect transition. You know, the biggest reason I wanted to hear from you today is just all these years and years and years that you have worked with men and worked with husbands telling them, yes, you can be strong and you can be a man, but out of that strength, it has to be delivered with gentleness and and kindness. So when I thought about who do we want to ask the question, how can I be a great dad and a great husband? You were the first one to come to mind. We just had, (laughs) for all the ladies that are listening right now, you're going, hey, what about us? We just did a great episode with Karen Stubbs from Birds on the Wire Ministry about how to be a great mom and a great wife. Uh, But Kenny, I want to get really focused on what it's like to be a great dad while also being a great husband because you have such great wisdom in this area. But before we get too practical on this, why do you think it's important uh, for kids to see healthy marriages? Yes. You know, the family uh, is the first community of acceptance. It, it is responsible for the emotional and relational formation of children. And so if there isn't an environment where there are healthy models there um, and healthy acceptance healthy affirmation of progression, healthy, unconditional love without performance, then they will find, if it's not healthy in the first community of acceptance, they'll find a second community of acceptance outside the family Mm. to, to belong in, where they experience, at least at a base level, acceptance. Now, acceptance outside that first community, which is the family, Many times the choice is I'll do something unhealthy to be accepted in that second community of acceptance because I haven't got the primary need met in the family. So when we talk about moms and dads and families and children, uh, we're talking about an all-out war for the soul of your child and how they perceive themselves and based on how they perceive themselves – they will either be secure and have worth and peace on the inside or insecure and have anxiety on the inside over their worth. And when that happens, there is a host of second communities of acceptance outside that first community of family that are waiting to exploit the lack of worth and anxiety over their, their lack of worth out there in the world. And, and that's, that's the panorama and scope and scale, if you're a mom or dad listening to us right now, of you, your, your, your husband or wife, your children, and what's at stake. How do you think marriage in this first community of acceptance, what kids see with mom and dad, separate from, from parenting? Correct. Why, is, why do you think that's important? Well, the we know, and you know this too, we're preaching to the choir here, or maybe some of you are hearing this for the first time, but modeling is the strongest form of teaching in a family unit. 
So if mom and dad model a spiritual life and a love for God, if mom and dad model the one another's of loving one another, serving one another, encouraging one another, forgiving one another, speaking truth to one another, respecting one another. And I think all parents know this, that, you know, your child is a sponge and they're, they're waiting to see if you're the real deal and they're watching and they're soaking and you're training them without even training them. But, you know, much of parenting is a projection of our own stuff. And so when that's true, you have to be on a journey of emotional growth and health, spiritual growth and health, or else you're projecting onto your children a lack of emotional growth, a lack of spiritual growth, which then has a long-term longitudinal consequence for how they're forming. And nothing's being said you're just doing life, you're being who you are, you're relating, you're making choices, mom and dad, and they're watching and learning from your modeling. Nothing's being said, you're just modeling it. And and they're seeing, wow, does that person have integrity? Do, do they actually live the way they say they believe and think? And they're keeping score. Hmm. Um, and some children take your pattern and run downfield with it. Other people cry foul, throw a flag, and go, I'm not going to be like that because you said one thing and did another thing. So you can't, you can't overemphasize the importance of modeling in marriage for the, the health and development of children. What about you and Chrissy? Did you guys grow up in homes where healthy marriages were modeled? Yeah, we have a we have a split decision on that one, Ted. Um, I would say that Chrissy grew up in a reasonably normal, reasonably healthy model where mom loved dad and they spent time with kids, and they there was a healthy spiritual foundation. Uh, there was a focus on God and family and certain values. Kenny, on the other hand, grew up uh, getting thrown to the wolves. My dad was in the Navy; he was deployed all the time. My mom was handling seven children. Mm-hmm. Uh, that always dilutes uh, time and quality with any child who's number seven in the lineup. Um, if you throw in alcoholism in the Luck family, that adds another thing that everybody has to kind of dance around. And, uh, and so there was a, a strong pull for me growing up to find the second communities of acceptance mm. because the dominant childhood feeling in my first community was ignored. Wow. Chrissy, on the other hand, grew up in a a fairly securely connected family where there was presence, there was love, there was affirmation. Chrissy was not in deficit when it came to personal worth, value, self-esteem, things like that. Um, Me, on the other hand, I grew up in a family where that was not there. And so when I came to Christ at 17, Uh, and began to experience from God himself that unconditional love and acceptance, that that grace, that modeling, and then tried to now bring the love that he gave me into my relationship. I had to learn family later on in life, but I saw Chrissy's family when we started dating. It was so attractive to me. It was Mm. a gospel witness to me, kind of who had this orphan spirit of like, wow, 
that's what it's supposed to be like. Hmm. Wow, Kenny, hearing you, you go, what, what is, you know, you think about what puts the, the fuel behind somebody is passionate uh, at, at your level of leader to say, wow, I love that it, the guy that's leading the way in many ways when it comes to, to men's ministry is saying, hey, I kind of grew up a little bit orphaned, a little bit ignored. And so that passion coming from you. And I think what that says to people listening is also, hey, if you grew up from that, if you experience a deficit, then you can you can learn new way of doing things. You can watch yes. just like you watched uh, Chrissy's yes. parents and Chrissy's yes. family, right? Right. It's in that, and you need mentors. You know, we need mentors and models and messengers. And um, if you're listening and you're by God's grace, uh, you love Jesus and you love your husband and you have a reasonably healthy family. That family has tremendous power to witness to kids in your community like me Hmm. and who don't have a vision of what normal or a healthy family looks like. And it can be aspirational. It can be inspirational. They will, they hunger for it naturally. And that's kind of what I saw in, in Chrissy's family. So you can't, again, overemphasize how important, you know, putting energy into the marriage and into the family is far beyond the benefits that accrue to the child and to the mom and dad. It is a powerful influence upon those watching hmm. <sighs> your family and people who get dropped into your family context and how you love and relate to one another. There, For a kid like me, it was just like, Oh, this is how it was supposed to work. Mm, you saw it. As soon as you saw it, you thought, oh, that, that's yep. it. I didn't know what I was missing, but that, now I do. Yes. So, Kenny, let's get super practical. We live in a pretty kid-centric world. Um, yes. How do, you, how do you think couples can prioritize marriage in the midst of the crazy schedules of kids? Because we've, you know, we've talked before, you know, our kids are... You know, you live in an area where kids are really, really busy. I think most of the country, people are living in areas where kids are really, really busy. How do we, how do we prioritize marriage in the midst of, you know, the crazy world of, of raising kids? Well, um, you know, I, like all parents, uh, depending on what season you're in, you know, if you have little ones who can't take care of themselves, you're their servant. If you have kind of uh, six, seven, eight-year-olds, you know, you're training all the time. If you have teenagers, you're you're coaching for better, for worse. You know, and if you have older teens, you know, you're mentoring. So all of that time uh, means that you have to be a maximizer of moments. A lot of Chrissy and I's marriage investment during those seasons, which were all very full. We had a very full life lots of activities, lots of stuff going on. You just have to say no to say yes. And I say, I, I say that in this spirit where there are there were activities that I could say yes to, but I would have to say no to my marriage to say yes to those. Whether that was five hours of golf on a Saturday with my buddies every, you know, or whether that was recreational things. When you have a, a lot of activity in your home, the first thing to go a lot of times is time with your spouse. And when you are doing activities with your spouse, that's different than being with your spouse. And we all know the difference. You, you know, every guy listening to us knows the difference between doing activities and being with your spouse. So Chrissy and I, we had to invest financially in 
date nights and babysitters. We had to send the message to our kids that this relationship is the center of what we do. You're important, but guess what? We're going to put you with a high school person who's going to watch you for a night because we need to focus on this relationship. Dad still loves mom. Mom still loves dad. Uh, this is the center of the family unit. Uh, sometimes grandma and grandpa are going to watch you for a weekend or you're going to uh, be watched by a family or stay with the family because um, sometimes we need to get away for a weekend. We're definitely big celebrators of anniversaries and we send the message that marriage is to be celebrated. Anniversaries are to be celebrated. Um, and so throughout whatever season you're in, you got to have like snacks, which are kind of the dates. Sometimes you have meals, which are extended like a weekend here and there. You get away. Sometimes you have banquets, okay? And that's where you really go for it and celebrate your relationship with your spouse. And they're watching that. That's what sends the message. And so that requires planning. That requires discipline. That requires consistency. But when you realize that, hey, this is what I want for them, when they... When they get married, and you know, I have a son who's recently married, and uh, it, the greatest joy was just listening to him plan. You know, he he dates his wife every week. They they their first year anniversary, he took her away. You know, for a great weekend. You know, and I know that when they have kids, they're going to keep that discipline. Hmm. And so I know that in a in a hurried world, it's hard. But here's the here's the principle. You in in a hurry. You can't do anything in a hurry. So you can't have quality and be in a hurry. So you have to slow down to get quality. And so you got to slow to know your spouse. Got to slow to know your. You got to slow. You got to slow to know, and that that's kind of a, a sticky statement that Chrissy and I have. You got to slow to know. To know God, you got to slow down, and you have to carve out time. And you can't be in a hurry, you know, and 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 make sure make call that quality in marriage. You can't call it quality if you're not slowing down to know the other person. Oh, so it, it, it's that. all in the mix. You got to slow to know. All right, and so yeah. we always ask our our guests to give us one simple thing because you know you and I we can talk at thirty thousand feet all day long. Sure. Get so excited about that. In fact, as you're talking, I'm like, oh my goodness, there's so many nuggets. I cannot wait to listen to this back and just write all these one-liners. It's just so powerful on so many levels. For me, I'm always passionate about how do we help churches have great marriage ministries, and I'm listening to you going, wow, I've got to lean into all of this. Uh, But also, you know, we've got a friend of a friend and Doug and Kathy Fields, and, you know, I feel like I've known you through them over the years, right? Yeah, that's uh, right. And I've always, you know, you talk about the importance of having mentors. They've always been, I probably mentioned them way too much on this podcast, but they were, they've been our mentors in so many ways and and living out that way. But how do we get super practical? If you were going to leave people with one simple, one simple thing that they could go and do based on what you and I've talked about. And I think, you know, if you've got, you got to slow to know in marriage, what, what would that one thing be? One simple thing that people could do, or you maybe can give them a couple of options, kind of get their their brain. Because you talked about the snack, the meal, and the banquet. Like, what is one thing that they could do? Well, I I, I don't think this is uh, you know breaking news, but 
you got to keep dating. You know, the Bible says that you got to go back to your first love. That's that's true with God and that's true with people. Hmm. Um, just think about uh, what you did when you were dating. I turned, my friends were just like, who are you, man? <laughs> there was this there was this guy that we knew and then all of a sudden you're in love with this girl and you're like this warrior poet, <laughs> you know? You're writing notes. You are are thinking of special things. You're holding hands all the time. You've like you're you're going out, you're planning things, you know. And so I think, you know, the pursuit, the chase hmm. is kind of where I would land on that. You don't stop doing those things. You know, I get Chrissy, uh, her favorite drink in the morning, most mornings, it's uh, a triple espresso over ice in a grande cup, and it has nonfat milk and a little bit of sugar, and I get her a brand muffin to go with it, and on the straw, I write her a note. I, I, I love have, it. She has a shoebox. I literally have been thinking, like, I'm going to send that to Starbucks just to show that they, they, they are a part of our family life. But I have a shoebox full of notes that I send Chrissy that go with the mocha, so she opens the fridge, and there's a, what you know, her favorite thing. And guys, dude, it's five bucks. Right. And but it's worth five million so dollars true. because I'm a I'm I'm communicating. B I'm creating emotional intimacy with my wife, and C she's special. And so we all have to be these researchers. So figure out something that your spouse likes, and and make it a regular part of your routine that sends just a powerful message with a little bit of effort. You know, so that would be number one, you know, and then, and then number two, learn something that they desire or want and, and then do that either with or for them. For example, guys, my wife started, you know, like they communicate between the lines. Like I heard her say in the, in the laundry room, oh man, it'd be so great if I could have a shelf in here. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, next one week later, I actually planned, went to Lowe's, Home Depot. Man, she showed up after being gone. There was a shelf above the washer and dryer. Dude, it was like I was Tim the Toolman Taylor. <laughs> I mean, it was like, so I think people are walking around under encouraged spouses, especially, but mm. if you're if you're close to your spouse and you're hearing, you you have to have your radar on. Like, what's something that they're saying in between the lines? You gotta be picking up on that, making a note. And doing something and investing in them. There's the regular stuff of, hey, pray with guys. If you're listening to me, please cover and pray for your wife before you go to bed. It blesses her. She loves listening to you talk to God about her and right. blessing her. Bless her before you go to bed. Love what she loves, guys. You want to be a great husband? Love what she loves. Spend time with your kids and you will win the heart of your spouse. Ladies, uh, respect your husband. But how do I do that? Well, you know what? Uh, every now and then, I'm, I'm going to do something that he likes, or I'm going to let him go do something with his buddies, or, you know, it's just these messages of unconditional love and acceptance, communication and ultimate emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy. I love it. Jumping up and down on these examples you've given, you know, it's a coffee, it's a shelf. And I yes. feel like, Kenny, after doing this a really long time, I think we've made marriage way too complicated. Or for some reason, at least, people are convinced that marriage is very, very complicated. 
Uh, and I think it's these moments. It's these moments of letting them know. I mean, just I love the coffee idea. My wife chews sugarless gum probably way too much. I'm probably going to get a couple of emails about aspartame and the fact that she shouldn't be doing it. But the woman loves chewing gum, and she does it more like candy. She'll chew it, doesn't have the good taste right. anymore, she throws it away. I just try to give chewing gum all the time. I just buy packs of it because she doesn't See? like spending a lot of money. But boy, she likes that gum, and it's chewing so gum. funny. It's so funny. It's like a little flower every time. She's like, oh, chewing gum. Putting gas in chewing the car gum. is like, she says, I hate doing that, which I'm thinking. I hey, th- dude, I there, there's something like that where – I think we need to tell the guys listening right now, and the ladies will appreciate li- this. It doesn't take a lot. No. See, you're you're when you when you talk about what's going on out there in your work life or your ministry life or whatever, and you're talking about all this energy you're putting into that and passion you're putting into that. Just know that your wife is going. Okay, how about here? Hmm. Is there passion and energy here? And there's baseline things that you just need to do, dude. Take out the flipping trash, all right? <laughs> Do restock the toilet paper, okay? Kill the cricket that somehow made it into your house. Whack the spider. Do the things <laughs> that you're supposed to do. That's a baseline of what, that's just baseline. That, that There's no something, something on the other end of that. That's just like, that's what you should be doing. Uh, and then there's the, the stuff where, man, thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness is not expensive. Ted just told us that there's a $2 solution that buys him $100,000 of connection, and it's called chewing gum. Figure it out. Yeah. I, and go there. And take notes. I mean, that is the thing. Like, for me, I mean, we've, we've laughed. Daisy and I have laughed before. She's very, very difficult to buy for. I mean, and she, one, she's super strict with her diet. So the whole food, let's go to a cool restaurant. Like, you're just going to go eat salad with chicken on it. So... That's not her jam. And then she doesn't like spending a lot of money. So it's, I've had to really, really, really listen because she's very particular and she's, you know, and she's pretty low maintenance. So, but it's exactly, it's leaning in. And Kenny, I, you know what? You need to write a book called Whack the Spider and 101 More Ideas <laughs> to Win the Heart of Your Wife. And I will co author that with you. We'll just come up with a oh hundred of these. Yeah. Um, hey, guys, I have to tell you, I have to tell you, Ted. Your gum thing, my uh, triple espresso thing, every woman has one. Mm-hmm. Figure out what it is. Because when you medicate your relationship with money, it comes off as inauthentic. Hmm. When you medicate your relationship with money, it comes off as inauthentic. That's powerful. And I would say, too, you know, I usually, you know, we usually are saying, hey, we're speaking to the individual, you know, husbands, we want you to go do this. I would say to wives listening to is let him know what that triple espresso is. If you can let him know what the chewing gum is. And yeah, this and, is what I like. Yeah. And not in a deficit way. I mean, not in a way I wish you, you never just to say, you know what? I love it when you do. I, I love gum <laughs> you know, whatever. I love it when you put gas in my car to affirm, you know, what's rewarded is repeated. So let him know. Cause a lot of times he just doesn't know where we guys, we, I mean, you know, right. I, uh, not to beat up men, but we could be a little clueless sometimes with this kind of stuff. Yeah, my my wife. I mean, she was she was very clear when we started having kids. It's just like, hey, when you give the kids a bath and spend time with them and pray with them before they go to bed, that's worth ten million dollars to me. Hmm. Because you can say things to them. A, they miss you. B, you can say things to them. I can't. 
And C, they want your approval. And they want your, but, you know, if you're great guns out there in the business world and getting promotions and all that stuff, and you're not putting the kids to bed and giving them a bath and spending time with them, man, my heart for you, it's hard for me to have a heart for you Hmm. when you don't have a heart for our children. And so if you guys, I mean, there's your immediate go-to well of intimacy. Love what she loves. Then figure out what she loves, big and small, and there's your puzzle. Make it happen. I love it. Kenny, can you close us with a, a story like you, uh, that some guy came in and he was like, I want to be a good husband. I just don't know how that did a couple of little things that you've seen really maybe take a tough marriage to a, to a way better marriage in you know relatively easy way in a short amount of time? Yeah, I think the biggest transformer uh, that I've seen over 30 years of just working with guys and their marriages has been their ability to resolve conflict. And I say that because every marriage has conflict, and sometimes we, A, don't listen, and B, we try to fix in conflict. It's like, man, you shouldn't feel that way. Here's the solution. And, and then see what happens is it creates distance when we don't know how to resolve conflict. And so one of, one of the great stories is this guy, he just, you know, whenever they would get into disagreement, it's like he'd take his ball and go home and turn into an eighth grader. But then when with a little bit of coaching and a little bit of help, just say, hey, don't seek to be right. Just seek what's true. Hmm. And if it's true and it relates to you, own it. Seek what's what true. It, yeah. Seek what's true because all truth is God's truth. So if, and if that truth in particular relates to you, like if you're at fault or if you need to take responsibility for something, just own it. And man, I'll tell you, that guy's wife, after he, he said, okay, I'll try it. And he, they, they got to do a little conflict. And then he said to his wife, you're right. <laughs> You're right. And I see that. And mm. that's on me. And he owned it. Please forgive me. It's amazing. It is amazing. In a marriage when, when you can just seek truth because God's in truth and reality, not in self-deception and defensiveness. Mm. And, and so if you can seek God in the midst of conflict, so something's going to come up, you're in disagreement, immediately as a husband, I'm just like, okay, what's true here and what can I own? Because that's where peace is. Peace is in the truth. Mm. And if I have to own the truth, so be it. God, just those two little words. Again, we've made marriage so complicated. Go, you're right. I mean, that is, that is so powerful. So powerful. Kenny, I could talk to you all day long here. Maybe we could have you on like a 12-part series. That's what my heart is wanting right now. So just carve that out over the holidays. Uh, hey, one of the things I know that you're super passionate about right now, and I'd like you to give us two minutes on this, is the Dangerous Good Movement. Tell, yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, the Dangerous Good Movement started when Jesus said these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He has anointed me too. And then he says, preach the gospel to the poor, sight to the blind, relief uh, to the oppressed, release to the captive. Translation, God's spirit is in me, 
to be dangerous with goodness. And that's what he did. Jesus walked into a broken male culture that said, thank God I'm not a woman. Thank God I'm not a kid. Thank God I'm not a Gentile. And what happened? He stepped in to protect and defend women. He stepped in and he said, hey, let the children come. And he touched them and he blessed them and raised their vision and value. And then he didn't pre-qualify people on the basis of race. And there was a broken masculinity that he walked into. Same is true today. In fact, some of the issues are true today. And the Dangerous Good movement is a movement that is empowered by the spirit of Jesus Christ. It's men who are in relationship with him and with one another, and they are focused on becoming like him and being like him and behaving like him. And so that's my new book. It just came out over the summer. Um, The curriculum comes out the first quarter of 2019, and then the Dangerous Good City Transformation Conferences are coming to a community or city near you, and I hope to see and meet some of your audience, Ted, at those conferences. I love it. And they can find out everything at what website? everymanministries.com everymanministries.com awesome Kenny thank you so much I appreciate it I know you're a really busy guy and you got a lot of things going on you're doing some dangerous good over there but I love right love love how you love your family and um, thank you and so thank you for modeling that for us my friend of course let's do it again awesome Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Married People Podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Your review will help us reach more people with future episodes. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out the brand new Married People membership at marriedpeople.org. Until next time, I'm CJ. Thanks for listening.